Andy and Dan, two peas in a can, sharing some thoughts on internet land. Randy's not here, but kids, don't you fear? This is the Wheel of Randy. Hey, it's Wheel of Randy, your favorite Randy Newman podcast, semi-finalist. Thanks for everyone who's helped out with music. We have new theme music from Brian Just, Jason Pardon, and coming up later, the pride of Lansdale, Pennsylvania, Death Elf. Wheel of Randy's part of the Good Trash Media Network. Alright, let's start the show. Wheel of Randy. Folks, we've got Ryan Walsh. Hello. Welcome to the Wheel of Randy. Uh, Ryan is the author of Astral Weeks, which is a minor miracle because Astral Weeks is the book that got me to listen to Van Morrison again. <laughs> he had again. so alienated me. Oh, okay. Me. So you were re- a recent <laughs> bye-bye to Van Kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's like, all right, I'll give him another chance. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, the book kind of reads if you if you hate man, if you love him, like it's a Rorschach test. People find whatever they want in there. <laughs> they really is. It's it's like and you know his, his uh, you spoke to his ex wife at one point, oh, yes, and yeah. um, and but 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 then there. Yeah, I, I can see the Rorschach test. I can see a, a Van fan getting really excited about this, especially uh, especially that part. And it's been a, it's been a month since I've read this, where, where you find some rare recordings of his that someone had stored away. Remind me what that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, the whole there's like two holy grails kind of driving yeah. the book, and uh, they both kind of get solved by the end. But one is this lost recording of Van Morrison being backed by basically a group of Boston teenagers. And it also represents like the missing link between Brown Eyed Girl and Astro Weeks because like, it's like radio bubblegum to, you know, eight minute jazz folk jams. And it's like, what happened? Yeah, just, what happened in between? And so that, I, I was shocked at that it was that it was that sudden. I, I had always assumed that Moondance came in between. Right, them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he wrote around that time, but, but anyways, um, in the end of the book, I do hear these tapes and describe them. And then it was a nightmare scenario because everyone, I, I can't even talk about how I got them and I certainly couldn't spread them around, but then Dan, <laughs> realizing their value, I guess, maybe from the book did a copyright dump and put it on sale online for a day and then yanked it. So they are out there. Yeah, like if you, if you look, you can find the Boston 68 catacombs recording. And it is incredible. Wow. Uh, when, when I first picked this book up, I thought uh, it, it. I thought this was going to be just a Van Morrison book, and it, it, he's there in the first chapter, and then comes and goes. But there's so much going on. This is what Boston in '68. Yep. Yep. And every chapter is like I. I can't believe what what I'm reading. <laughs> That's um, great. That 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 there's so much going on that we see jonathan richmond that we we see uh velvet underground we see a young aerosmith and it's just nuts how much was going on in in this in this one one summer that you're writing about 
And I write about it in a surprised tone because literally it shocked me. And I've lived here forever. It was like you, no one ever talked about anything that happened before Aerosmith in my circles, at least. And so it was all like this beautiful music and story left on the table that I got to collect together for the story. It was it was really fun. And people either when they learn it's not just about Van or Astro Weeks, they either go, uh, you know, oh, thank God or. Or what the what the hell? Or they're just neutral. They're like, yeah, let's go around. Whatever this ride is, I'm on board. And you know, but uh, it, it seemed like there were two common themes uh, that, that we saw through this. First of all, you you talk early in this book about how Boston is this this very young, uh, you know, youth filled city, but at the same time, it's never really left its puritan roots exactly yeah it's like got this great conflict happening every day in every corner because the the kids are rebelling and they're starting to not wash their hair starting to live in the park and and the people who live right around the park are all rich brahmins puritan hangover you know super uppity and uh, this is simply not done my boy that kind of thing and uh (laughs) yeah so that's great i mean that's just great conflict to write about i i I remember just an old episode of MASH they were talking about, oh, this film's banned in Boston. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, Winchester said, I think Pinocchio is banned in Boston. <laughs> the list is really funny if you do look at everything over time that was branded. I mean, we had a city censor up until the late 70s, I think. And his name was Richard Sinnott. Sinnott. <clears throat> S-I-N-N-O-T. <laughs> it's like, it's like I guess that's straight out of Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, you would get thrown out of a writer's room for being too on the nose if you presented that. It's un- unbelievable. Uh, the the other theme that that, that we hear, and here, here's what I really want people to know: this character just appears over and over and over. It's this. I hesitate to call him a cult leader. Oh, do it. No, you should. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I mean, this is one step below Charles Manson. Tell us about this guy, because I couldn't believe what I was hearing about him. Well, I mean, I I think of the the book having two main characters. One's Van Morrison. The other is a banjo harmonica playing folk music musician named Mel Lyman who uh, in late that, that's late, right yeah. i could not remember his name and he uh he starts taking a lot of lsd he kind of knows the tim leary um ramdas crowd and figures out he can control people with lsd and starts a cult in roxbury and then things get weirder from there yeah and uh, just his level of influence on people uh just just really astounded me and and then uh he was was buying all of these you know, flop houses and like you said in Roxbury, mm-hmm. and 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 some of his communities still there today, from what I remember. They absolutely are. I mean, I was the first journalist they kind of let in 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 decades because they felt really burned by this Rolling Stone expose that came out in the early seventies. But for whatever reason, time passed, or the look on my face, or you know, my genuine interest, um, they let me in. And, you know, tour of the houses, access, talk to most people I wanted to talk to were still alive. And, um, but when the book came out, they were, they were pissed. And they, they, <laughs> they, they try, I mean, I tried to figure out what happened to Mel Lyman. He basically disappeared. There's a pretty good, reliable theory in the book. And um, 
you know, they tried to discredit me with Penguin Books and all. It, it was uh, what happened after the publication was as interesting as, you know, the story researching it. Um, cult's going to cult. Are there any of his his banjo harmonica recordings out there? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm just yeah, I mean, curious what, what this was like. Yeah, I mean, Jim Queskin's Jug Band, they had a lot of records out, I think, on um, Vanguard and then maybe a couple. Yeah, Reprise. Jim Queskin's America. Reprise? Yes, yes. <laughs> In fact, you know, well, <laughs> let me tell you something. Mo Austin, you know, great friend of, to Randy Newman, career-wise, yeah. at one point was compelled to come to Boston by Jim Queskin and stay a few days with the cult and um, learn what their new way of life was about. And he did. And um, he, he gave, you know, there's a record called Jim Queskin's America with a lot of Mel influence, harmonica and voice and uh, released by Reprise. But, Mo, but shortly after its release, Mo Austin would never comment on Mel Lyman or Jim Queskin. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but it's an interesting album. It's kind of... Um, it's unique. It's not, it's, I find it the opposite of boring folk music. Um, it's a, it's, it's a good listen. Jim Queskin's America. The, the one, one song I remember this, this book leading me to, and, and this is a, a great book to, to, to read, you know, right next to your Spotify account. So you can, oh, I got to hear this. I got to hear oh, that. Sure. Uh, but I had never heard of the Red Sox are winning. Oh yeah. And that is such a nutty song. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, that's, that's some very out there psychedelia uh, by a band called Earth Opera. And, <laughs> that's right. And if, if people, if, if listeners have read the book or are going to, I did build astroweeks.net. If you click on resources, there's playlists of videos, of songs, clips of all the people I talked to. So um, oh, wow. you, can, you can kind of read along and, and then reference that to see and hear what's going on i will definitely check that out so why do you think why do you think you didn't grow up hearing these stories was this something that people just kind of tried to sweep under the rug I, it seems like the kind of thing that you're sitting around you know after after a, a concert and people are sharing stories and these are the kind of, of legends that keep getting spread mm-hmm. so so why why was why was so much of this, you know, a, a, a surprise? Why was this story not told before? Well, I have a, I have a theory. I mean, it wasn't like it was completely memory hold. You know, there, there, there were references to it, but um, like I said, no one in my age group um, were familiar. Um, I think, well, the oral tradition failed. <laughs> is the uh, <laughs> is the um, uh, lofty way to say it? But I mean. Uh, Boston's a transient city, a lot of students in and out. So, you know, you kind of lose, you do lose stories that way. And then, you know, I think Boston's pretty dismal or was dismal at self-mythologizing itself. It is now with the sports empire and and everything. But I think it was such an underdog city, you know, you could almost hear it go, wow, these stories aren't worth nothing. Let's just move on, you know, (laughs) Uh, because, you know, I always joke before you're 30 years old, you without even trying, you've seen a dozen documentaries or movies about the sixties and just Boston's never even mentioned, you know, right. San yeah, Francisco, yeah. New York, Chicago, Detroit. And so um, it was just, uh, and Oh, also the other idea I have is that it's a story 
a lot about failure. People fail in this story a lot. <laughs> and I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think people like to celebrate the wins, but I find stories of failure often way more interesting than the wins. So he- help us out. Um, I would say 20% of my listeners are, are diehard Randy Newman fans. This this is all happening 68 when, when Randy is, is you know, putting that first record out. Mm-hmm. He's kind of gotten his feet wet as a songwriter. I mean, is there any connection between Randy and, and the Boston scene? Gosh, none that I know of, except that Mel Austin thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to know. Like, I did poke around what his earliest Boston shows were, and I think it was early 70s. Yeah, yeah. that would make sense. But, you know, famously, he... He references Boston or a part of Boston in that song you won't mention on the podcast. <laughs> I'll mention it indirectly. Sure. Uh, it, 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 that's where I first learned about Roxbury. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I mean that. I yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was going to launch into a comment about that song, but I, I will respect the show's rules. I, I assume that Roxbury is a, a much more expensive place to live now than it was in 1972. Um, certainly, parts of it. Yes. Yep. And the park, the park where the cult lives and lives is, you know, really in demand real estate. It's, it's very posh and nice up there. I I think what always surprised me about, you know, the first couple Randy records is just how different the music biz was Mm, Yeah, that that he, that he could put out a couple albums that, that didn't sell well and the label embraced the fact that they didn't sell well. Right. There's like, oh, well, well, if the cool kids know about this, yeah. the squares yeah. won't get it kind of thing. And I can't see a record company doing that anytime after that. It's like, if, if you don't start with a hit, you're out of here. Well, what they, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, the first couple weren't hits, but how much budget do you need for an orchestra for your third? <laughs> right it's like, it's like how, how does this work and it is sad that i mean i always believe art finds a way and perseveres but it's sad that you know marginal characters like a modern day randy newman wouldn't be able to you know do something ambitious with strings because like you said they're not going to have hits no label is going to sink that much money into them the streaming platforms don't reinvest in the music that they make money off of so it is a there is a budget support problem out there um that hopefully you know gets better but luckily we still got randy oh we do have randy speaking of what randy song have you brought for us to talk about i've chosen the leadoff track of 1999's bad love album my country all right folks pause us real quick and go listen to my country a couple of times and we will be right back Okay, Ryan, this is, uh, it's not long enough to call an an epic, I suppose. He certainly had longer songs, but there is so much going on in this song. Right. Yeah. um, It kind of has a a false beginning where it almost leads you to believe it's a different type of Randy Newman song, kind of that playful, punchy piano. Yeah, it's it's got that just a, a a little bit of, of dixieland in exactly it. yeah and and he, he sounds like he's about to start reminiscing about the good old days right and right. then wham <laughs> it's gone yeah and then he started it, it it turns brooding really quickly 
Um, by the way, I I love to research, so I looked up when New Orleans stopped being a nickel. Oh. Um, because I was trying to date one thing I was trying to figure out is is he talking about growing up or is he talking about when he was the dad of kids? Anyways, in New Orleans, 78, it stops being a nickel. Everywhere else it goes up to a quarter in 1984. Mm. So we're talking pre-78 is um when he'd like to take us back in time. Um, but I then I found interviews where he he references both his, his experiences as a parent and as a kid. Uh, and they were similar. They were, you know, living room family, uh, TV families. Yeah. And this yeah. song, what I think is brilliant about this song is it turns that sad, factual way of American life into a triumphant anthem. You know, it's like the anthem for the inner world of the American family. And it works. And you're both kind of stirred by it. You, the propaganda has worked, but it's also like, Oh man, you wish your kids would go away. That's that's terrible. <laughs> and that's classic Randy Newman. I mean, it's the perfect yeah, yeah. You're you're right. You don't walk away from this ashamed that you're sitting down and watching TV after a hard day at work. He rec- it's yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's just it's a part of the daily life and it, it maybe too much of the this character's life revolves around it. Right. Um but yeah, there you don't walk away feeling ashamed. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, you kind of feel I I feel warm feelings for my family, or and I like how his songs can get you in weird, complex thoughts um, that you know often are like at odds against each other. It's, it's it's like you know, as you know, very few people do it. Yeah, he has such a, an interesting relationship with his kids in this song. Um, I, I'll pull up the lyrics real fast, yeah. but your, your children are your children, even when they're grown. Let's see. Also, I find the way he sets the scene where he's literally telling you to picture a room, picture a woman. That's kind of like a hypnotic little lyrical trick there. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that, that is a neat trick. You're right. Because not only are you, are you, you seeing it in your mind, but it causes you to remember that experience of your own. You're not going to picture some random woman. You're going to picture uh, your mom. You're going to picture something that you've seen before. Likely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right. So the verse about his kids. Yeah, you yeah. you, you going to uh, read it? Yeah. Now your children are your children, even when they're grown. When they speak to you, you got to listen to what they have to say. But they all live alone now. They have TVs of their own, but they keep on coming over anyway. And much as I love them, I'm always kind of glad when they go away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first time I heard it, it was so funny. Yeah, he would put that in a song. I mean, it's. I think it's in a weird. I think. I think it is a little brave to put that in a song. I don't like to throw that word around a lot, but gutsy at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, I get the feeling. Um, but yeah, that's nothing that you would ever really admit aloud. And knowing his kids listen to his music, I, I mean. I know that they, uh, I know that they listened carefully to this album because I, I know they warned their mom, his ex-wife, about "I miss you." They were like, yeah. they were like, get ready, it's you know, it's gonna make you feel feelings." So you know, they're listening to this stuff. They're not disengaged with their dad's work. Um, I, I think I think we talked about before how "I miss you" is is the one sincere song he ever wrote. <laughs> yes, <in a> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's sincere and first person kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I wanted to ask you about a line. This is the most mysterious line in the song to me. We all know what we look like. You know what I mean. I've always that that that's always been a real powerful line to me. I, it, it it it's almost like he's saying, you know, when when are we talking here? Nineteen seventy. Uh, that, that that he's picturing this. He knows he's going to see white characters yes. Yes. on the screen. Yes. That's exactly what I thought. I thought it was, and yep, and you know what I mean. I is it's that is. I, I I can't speak for for where you are, but I I've heard that kind of un- understood vague language all my oh, life. Oh yes, when someone is like, "Hey, you know, you like, know what I'm talking well, about, right, Dan? You know what I'm talking about." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and, and 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 sometimes it's done in a, a more polite way. In a oh, he comes from a good family. Yeah, exactly. yes, the code, the code or, words. Yeah, he, good good stock. Right, right. Yes, uh, but yeah, yeah, he. I, you get the feeling that you know he's watching the news, or, or you know he's he he's surrounded by by uh, ethnic groups that he's uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. But he knows when he gets home, mm-hmm. that screen's going to show his people, right? His country, his people. Yeah, I mean, the, to to make a comment on ostensibly what we're talking about is a kind of white privilege or or supremacy. With <laughs> we all know what we look like. You know what I mean. I mean, that is so, the language is so simple and it launches us off in this conversation. That is, that's remarkable writing, I think. Yeah, it's really, I, it, it's, it's so dense and, you know, you know, it, it, it in a way it's, it's the, the, the flip side of, of the coin, uh, the song we don't talk about where he's being so explicit right. uh, in his bigotry. Yes. This is, is a very, the passive kind, very dignified, it? polite company kind of bigotry. Here. It's the kind of passive that just happens if you don't do anything. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. You're just going to sit and Bit watch TV. Yep. Wow. Yep. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> not, not having to think. Right. Yeah having other people's voices fill our minds. Yeah. Um, I remember way back in my, my live journal days, mm-hmm. I, was, I was part of a music group that was called Lack of Silence, Yeah, which I, I think they meant tongue-in-cheek, but always kind of struck me as, wow, there's some people that are just terrified to be alone with their thoughts. Oh, absolutely. Got to have other people's voices filling my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's and, become easier not to crap on the medium we're talking on right now but i mean <laughs> my podcast i mean you don't have to have a we we love our audience hey, we, Thanks, we love the format don't we folks um uh, but i'm just here to keep you awake while you're driving yeah but when you get home you can have your quiet time guys but if you don't want it you can literally fill easily fill every second of your day with so uh you know people other people talking it is it's yeah. pretty easy and then there's a natural consequence to that, which he immediately addresses. Feelings might go unexpressed. I think that's probably for I the think best. that's probably for the best. <laughs> Dig too deep. Who knows what you can find? Right. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, they, they talk about so much of, of what we do to numb ourselves, whether that's uh, drugs or alcohol or, or food or, or gambling or what have you, is so that we, so that our brain doesn't have to confront yes you know, the, the the things that are, are are really bugging us and i think a lot of other songwriters i mean 
drugs and alcohol pretty well covered by a lot of other songwriters. And I like that Mm -hmm. Randy Newman tackles these weird ways that we don't even verbalize sometimes about uh, the way we avoid uh, pain or or the original thought or, you know, um, strong emotions. Yeah. Although he he gives cocaine its due several <laughs> times. Yeah. And, oh, I'm drunk. And also, I'm drunk right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they make they they make their appearances, sure. But yeah, he's the, the this character is he doesn't want to confront his feelings, and he's perfectly happy with that, right? Because it's his kingdom. He's the king. You know, this is the one place he's the king of. What, what do you think of this line? Yeah, what do you think of this line? The television is big as all outdoors. Yeah, that's like um, it's a it's almost a moment where he gets poetic instead of um doing this realism tricks. Uh, because it's well, I mean, it's I guess it's as simple as it's it's replace the outdoors for for the narrator and the family. Yeah, I've got to admit that it took me several years to warm up to this. Song oh, really? Because the first time I heard this song, yeah. it was used in a commercial. What? Really? What commercial? It was first. I, this is my great white whale. This is. Oh boy. I'm 3 a.m. on YouTube. I'm trying to find this commercial. It was for an insurance company or a bank. Are you? And they are singing the chorus straight. Whoa. Uh, we have to find this. <laughs> I. You didn't hallucinate this, Dan? No, I didn't. I, th- this was the kind of thing that was 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 on when you were watching golf. Right, right, right. This yes. commercial was on a lot, and I cannot find it. You can um, almost imagine Randy's smirk as he cashed that check. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he because he kind of wins on both sides of that. Um, this, you know, I had a weird. This was one of the first, if not the first, Randy Newman album I heard because let's see, ninety nine. So I was in college, but I. I had this great high school teacher who I was friends with and still friends with to this day. And he turned me on to all kinds of great stuff uh, like XTC and Twin Peaks and, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's a huge Randy fan, but you know, um, there was that big gap where between albums. So he was so, so excited. I think so. I think he started me with bad love, which is pretty interesting. Um, but I loved it. I think, um, I think it's actually well, not a bad a, entry point. It's such a, dark record i don't know that, that, that would be a tough entry point for me uh yeah a lot of laughs just such a, a lot of heartbreak yeah um and then i like the I, uh I, the production by uh Froome and blake where it's just they modernize him just a little bit but you know 23 years later it doesn't sound dated sounds great still yeah yeah it does this is this is really the, the first time well we see it in faust where he's really using the flutes really really heavy on the flutes oh i haven't um, noticed that okay yep yeah, yeah so you'll 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 see that um hear that in the chorus on on my country he's got some heavy flute work like um, how about by the very end of the song you know there is it's like um uh military drummer boy drums going like he has transformed the music itself into this anthemic thing slowly yeah Wow, I hadn't even noticed that. But yeah, we have the, the, the this weird prelude, and then it's it's just real simple. Yeah, that first verse. Wow, you know what, folks? Pause us again and listen to this. Again. <laughs> I I told you this is a deep song. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
So um, now it's 20 years later. Uh, Does the song, does the song ring different for you? I think I probably were, I probably was less consciously uh, thinking about what it actually meant. I mean, I could tell it was wry and I could tell it was critical. Um, But yeah, the, the lines, the lines about family relations, the lines about numbing yourself, you have more to compare it to as you get older and you see how he's not just taking the piss. He is addressing real pain that a lot of us are in. And so it becomes uh, more meaningful, I think. Yeah. Way beyond, you know, a parody or a novelty song. You know, the, the, the closest, you know, there, there just aren't a lot of songs about TV. <laughs> You know, I, you know, Leonard Cohen talks about getting lost in that hopeless little screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's some, you know, poorly done stuff out there, but it, it's weird how something that is so ubiquitous um, is something that we don't talk about. Yeah. Black Flags, TV party. Yeah, there you go. Um, now um, I'm thinking. Uh, John Prine, uh, blown up as TV. I can never remember the name of that song. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, I, this is just off the hip, but maybe the reason there isn't a lot of them, because it's kind of like an invisible opiate. You don't even, it, it it itself encourages you not to be critical of TV. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Man, I'm glad you chose this one. I, I was so glad it, it had not been uh, selected yet. My Just my luck. Just your <laughs> luck. Well, all, all of our luck, because you, you brought that to us. It's time to spin. Okie dokie. You ready for this, Ryan? I'm ready. All right. On your screen is the big green spin. Let's give it a shot and see where you land. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. And stop. Okay. She chose me. We've landed on she chose me. This is off of Dark Matter. Do you know this one? I got it. I need to re-listen to it. I've heard this album a bunch of times, but let's see. Well, let's you and me listen to it together. Okay. And audience, why don't you listen to it? And we will be right back. Bet my money on a Bobtown drag all the yeah. day. We are back. I think we have to retract a statement we made earlier in the podcast. Dan, about uh, the only sincere first-person song being uh, I Miss You. Yeah, there's there's no edge to this it's one. Not, there's there's no it, it, hidden meaning. There's not one line. Sometimes he sneaks in one line in these. And a, a little self-deprecation at the start, but in a, almost a healthy way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, this is one that almost seems like it could have been written for an animated film. Yeah. Um, which um, is interesting. I mean, one of the most, he is one of the most confusing Spotify presences of all time because they don't differentiate between those things. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's constantly complaining about his Spotify. Is he really? <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I clicked on his playlist that said uh, Randy Newman Radio and I didn't recognize anything on it. But it, if you get on there, it, it, it says more artists like Randy Newman, and there will be Winnie the Pooh, right. <laughs> and then Bing Crosby, and maybe Zoe Deschanel. He might be flattered by the Crosby. Generous, yes, <laughs> the Crosby. <laughs> but 
gosh, this is just such a, yeah, it's, this is, this is a sincere pumpkin patch, as they say. Yeah. There's just. I'm trying to think of the overall tone. What do you think the overall tone of this album is? Because it's, it struck me as um, a little bit of a potpourri, as in there's no unifying theme on this one. It's like, here's nine Yeah, there's. There, there, there's nothing. I mean, he starts off with with, with that epic uh, evolution debate, right. and then he's got the Kennedy song. He's got this. He's got a couple about growing old in there, yeah. um, and you know he ends with Wandering Boy, which is just a knockout punch, leave you in a puddle at the end of the album kind of song. Mm. Um, but yeah, I. The the only unifying theme I can think of maybe in this is is growing older, wrapping things up, yeah, uh, re- resolving things. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get to a certain age and people start wondering out loud if it's your last album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know when when you put one out every twelve right, thirteen right. years, yeah. you know, it's a fair question. Um, what one thing I love about this is is the composition, um, the piano on this, the, the melody is just following his voice, just note mm-hmm. for note. Yep. Um, you know, a little bit of chord work in the left hand, but it's just his right hand is playing exactly what he's singing. Yep. Which, which to me is is a sign of of sincerity. Of, That's of, a very good point. Yeah. That you know this this is it. Uh, I'm not trying to hide. Yeah, sometimes the wink trying the, to say the winks in his music aren't always lyrical. They're paired with you know um, a, a musical choice. Mm-hmm. They are, and I think this is his best string work since Marie. I, the, the strings on this are just just lovely. And he it, he writes all of the arrangements. Do we know? <sighs> oh, maybe I don't. I think he had help with Marie. Uh, Michael Ross, if you're listening, you did the Marie episode with me. Uh, let me know. I I think he had someone do the, the string arrangements for him. Bum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Hi, this is Dan in the editing bay. Checked with Michael. Nick DeCaro did the strings on Marie. Back to the show. Bum, on on that whole uh, good old boys album. Yeah, I think I think it started out that way, but I think maybe he's gotten more. Um, trying to I'm trying to look it up as we talk here. I think you get a couple of film scores under your belt. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was just sweet. That was, that was, that was a very sweet Short choice. Sweet. Uh, I have, I have a upcoming guest who has said that she wants to do, she chose me. Oh, so, so let's really leave, interested. let's leave some on the table here. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in hearing what she has to say. She may be listening to this, and just shaking her head. <laughs> <laughs> this may inspire her to all right, here's what's going on in this song. <laughs> this song is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the Holocaust. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Ryan, next up is this week's cover. This week's cover. And I cannot find anyone who has the courage to cover my country. I've looked and looked and looked. And the only cover that I know of is is that damn commercial that I can't find. Uh, uh, hold on. So, hold on. Let's try it then. Yeah, let's let's do it. Picture room. 
turned on for the night. Picture a woman, two children seated, a man lying there, their faces softly glowing in the light. This is my country. These are my people. This is the world I understand. This is my country. These are my people. I know like the back of my own hand. That's enough of that. Wow. I think that's the first time that this week's cover has been <laughs> the guest. You're breaking new ground here. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That was lovely. I looked it up today and was right like, oh, right. Not too many, like, weird augmented seven and minor chords. I could probably bang this out. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm not sure how much of a market there is for a My Country cover, but it's, <laughs> it's yours for the taking. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I'm going to tell people again, and I've been telling a lot of people, go get a copy of Astral Weeks. This is, it's, it is jaw on the floor reading. This, this is the kind of, of book I put it down every few pages into my wife. Did you know that? <laughs> and, and she doesn't care, but, but, but I, have a, I have a joy in telling. Gotta tell somebody. <laughs> I gotta tell somebody. Yeah, do, do you have any other, uh, any other books in in the in the pipeline or any musical projects coming out well um there uh i'm always working on both music and writing um there's no second book locked in yet but um i hope to uh recently i put something out about a minor figure in the john lennon story this kind of homeless guy that shows up on his on his property and during the making of imagine and it's in a documentary, and I was curious about who that guy was. Mm. Um, and then my band um, hasn't put out. Uh, we put out uh, the last full kind of proper album we put out was called "I'm You" in late 2019, and um, that band's called Hallelujah the Hills. But mostly, if you just I like, I probably am most easily found on Twitter. I like Twitter at J A H H I L L S, and um, you can always find links there and stuff. Could, could you spell that out for us one more time? Oh, sure. Jaw Hills, at Jaw Hills, J-A-H-H-I-L-L-S. And I've, I've been following you for a, a couple of months. I'm not sure how I ran into you. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I heard I heard you on, on the best show when you were talking. Oh, Fox. nice. Uh, I, that's what, that's what for, first got it on, on my radar. Um, but yeah, you're very entertaining. Twitter oh, good, follow, so. good. So everyone, please, please, please check Ryan out. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it. That's, that's it. Thank you so much, Ryan. You've been a great guest and we, we appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for another episode of Wheel of Branding. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Be sure to check out our sister shows, I guess. Uh, Praise Down and Good Trash Genre Cast. Uh, special thanks to everyone who has contributed music in the past few days. Special thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. You can check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. And uh, Spotify sucks. See you next time. Bye. Spend the way.
love, Randy. 